Tender 
Um, before we move on, let's, let's just have a time of prayer for a moment. God, we are just uh, so thankful to be gathered together in this space and uh, come together as a church community to worship and to celebrate, uh, to sing these songs that remind us of your goodness and your grace, um, two times singing that you are good. And so we think about that, we reflect on that. Uh, it reminds me so much of last week as we talked about this idea of understanding and trusting and reflecting on that and processing that and um, just sitting in a place of worship and recognizing your goodness. So God, we are thankful for today, for this time of worship that we have. We ask that you continue to speak to us, uh, be with our kids, be with the teachers as they um, go into their classes and be with us in our potluck later this morning as we uh, come together around tables as a community. Continue to help us to uh, meet each other and, and uh, develop friendships and family within this community that we call Southeast. And it's your name that we pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat. And as I said, uh, the students can meet their teachers uh, right over by the doors over there. And as they do that, um, I'll just tell you a couple things that we have uh, going on. First of all, um, if you are a parent and you are a guardian, a parent or a guardian, you've got your kids headed that way, that is going to drive me nuts. Nope, nope. Nope, we're keystoning. Yeah, we are. Guys, that was going to drive me crazy. Oh, no. You go back. No. Anyways, boy, turn around and look at it, and it's like, I can't do this. I, I cannot handle this. So now you know what my life looks like. I'm working on something. I look up. I got like a scratch on the paint. I'm like, Jill, I'm going to redo the whole room. I can't take it. That's my, now you know my personality if you didn't know it before. So anyways, if you have kids who are going into the kids' spaces, one of the cool things that we have are resources that you can look at to connect you back on what they're learning throughout the week. So it's really cool. So if you scan the QR, if you go to our kids' pages, you'll find that on the front page of our website. Also, there's a uh, families tab in our menu that you can uh, scroll down on there, and there's all kinds of content for our preschool class, for our K-5 class. Uh, there's a place there to connect with the youth group as well, uh, because two things. Number one, we want you to know what they're learning in there. We want you to understand what's going on, but also there are parent cues that you can take home, and so they provide these awesome opportunities where I, I know that, you know, when I'm talking to my kids, sometimes I'm not exactly sure what to bring up or how to talk to them about things. And so uh, it gives you some cues as you're driving around in the car or something like that to connect with what they learned on Sunday. So it's not just one of those things where they're going off into a class and they're sort of just disappearing for the next, you know, 35 or 40 minutes. It's that it gives them an opportunity to grow in their faith. And what's really cool is then those parent guides help us to grow in our faith right along with them. So, you know, my hope is that there are things that as we talk about in the sermons that you take home and that you, you do and that you practice and that are a part of it, especially during this series, we've been doing some of that, uh, but also that you do that with your kids as well. Faith is really built around the table of family, and so that's a really good opportunity. So I don't want you to miss uh, what we have going on there. So we have a couple other things that I, I do want to tell you about. Last night uh, was the spectacular trunk or treat. Uh, so... We've got a whole bunch of people that participated in that, so I quickly pulled together some of the pictures. So Meredith came today, and she got the memo to dress up in her costume. I told, yeah, see, I told everybody last night, I said, if you come to church, you need to wear your costume. Nobody listened. I mean, everybody, so, so Meredith is just, just in her shark costume, or shark, what is it? 
A dragon, I'm sorry, dragon. See, from here, it's hard to tell. Dragon, shark. She's got a tail. I didn't see the tail. It's awesome. So she's got her costume. So, but, but now you can see what everybody should have worn. See? And these were really awesome. We had just an incredible time. I thought it was a great opportunity for community, and it was a good opportunity for us to uh, connect with Chicago's again to do something. Um, I had a chance to talk to Nate Eppel, who owns that Chicago's, and uh, he was talking about all the events that we have. And he's like, man, he said, you guys, the partnership, we were both. I mean, it was one of those moments where I was like, I love this partnership. And he's back at me. He's like, no, I love this partnership. I'm like, I love this partnership more. He's like, no, no, Ryan. I love this partnership more. And it was just so cool to have that uh, partnership, that connection uh, with someone in the community. And he, we, he, we just started making all these plans for all these cool events that we can do. Um, because he gets it. He wants to be involved in the community just as much as we do. Um, so, you know, we talked about that we've got our Santa on the subway coming up and some really cool stuff with that that's going to be happening. We've got um, some plans for some Easter stuff with the Easter Bunny Express that we did there. We've got uh, some plans for some spring movie nights and all kinds of stuff that we can do. And then as he and I were talking, we said, you know, what's some other pieces that we can add to this? Can we do some food drives? Can we do some other pieces along with that? Uh, to really connect and create some more sense of community and give people a place where they can um, be involved and, and help with some pieces. So that was super, super cool. So would you one more time, though, for these 17 cars, give a round of applause for them participating and doing that. I mean, I just, I, it's awesome. Guys, And thank you so much. Uh, I will tell you, so everybody said that trunk or treats for whatever reason seem to be down in attendance and you know we've typically had we told people plan for like three or four hundred kids uh we were probably half of where we were last year we don't know maybe weather maybe just a lot of different uh trunk or treat things um so we had a lot of candy um so there there is some extra candy that we brought back that folks donated so if you want to take your candy back and give it away at your house and just i mean just get a shovel apparently because we've got so much I mean, I, we, we literally should have had, like, we should have had at the end of the cars, we should have had somebody with, like, a shovel just going, here, just take this. I mean, because it was just, there's just so much candy. So if you did bring some, uh, feel free to grab a bag. Um, I mean, Jill was like, and if you didn't bring some, just grab a bag, because, I mean, just, get, we, we need to give it away. Um, so there's just so much. So thank you for being generous with that. Uh, guys that participated, thank you for being generous and participating in that. This is something I love doing every year. So it's going to be so great to do it next year and kick it up a notch and have even more fun. So uh, thanks for being a part of that. Uh, if you probably saw, many of you dropped off potluck items. We're going to have our potluck right after church. It's going to be in the kids' room back here. So we've got that all set up so it'll be easier for us to just move back into there as we're you know, doing some teardown in here. So if you can stick around for a couple minutes and help just get things torn down here, that would be awesome. And then if others want to go back there and kind of help finish getting the setup of the potluck in there. If you didn't bring something for potluck, stick around. Hang out with us. The Colts game isn't until 1. We moved church till 10 o'clock, so now we got plenty of time. we got plenty of space and gap there. And so hang out with us. If you want to grab food, go grab food, but I'm sure there's going to be plenty back there. Um, so make sure to stick around for the potluck afterwards. And especially if you're, if you're new with us, hang out be a part of it, because it's just a great way uh, to connect. So anyways, don't, don't rush off today. Try to stick around if you can. Um, it's such a good, it's so good to sit around tables. 
and just hang out as a family. And we're going to be doing this uh, regularly. We talked as a board that one of the things that we want to do in this season is really create this sense of community. And we're in a position where we can do that um, just with this family right here. We can do more connecting opportunities like that. So Fifth Sundays will always be potlucks, and then we'll sprinkle in some others along the way. So plan on Thanksgiving weekend, we'll do something together um, where we'll get together and we'll sit around tables because that's a really good opportunity to do that. Um, before we go into the series, as you know, we've been in this The Art of the Sabbath series. We've been talking about this for the past couple of weeks. I'm really excited about um, today. But before we do that, let's have a word of prayer and then we'll get into this message that I'm really, really excited about. God, we are just, again, just so thankful. I'm thankful for the, the images that we have here of the trunk or tree, just the celebration, the joy, the life, the community that we have together. I'm thankful for Chicago's, for their connection with us, for their relationship that we have uh, that enables us to be involved in the community like this. Um, not asking people just to come to us, but going out and being involved. So God, we just ask that you just continue to provide opportunities, help us to grow, help us to um, do all of these things uh, to your glory. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, so we're in this series, and um, I, I love, I've, I've loved this so far. This has been really fun. I, I think I was honest with you guys a couple of weeks ago that I said we, we had a plan where we thought we were going to go with things, and then I just came to this place where I just felt like the plan that I had for the sermons, what I wanted to do, I, I just wasn't, I wasn't feeling it. Something wasn't gelling there. And as I started to think about it, I realized that in my own life, I was just feeling just exhausted, just busy, just um, overwhelmed with so much going on. I looked around the world, and it just seemed like we had all just gotten back to this um, busy, just moving and moving and moving. I saw this um, video earlier this week. It really cracked me up. I'll have to play it next week because it's so funny. Some company created a, um, like a running track that's on a conveyor belt that, that is soft enough that you could fall on it and not get hurt. And as they didn't, see, now I've got to play the video for you. So just, uh, maybe I'll just send it out later so you can see it. Because I was, la I mean, it's one of those ones you watch over and over again. And you're like, hey, come in here, you got to see this, you know. And these guys are running on this conveyor belt. And the point of it was that they had taken the person who, who just made the world record in marathon. And they wanted to run his pace. And so they set this thing to the pace of the marathon runner. And these guys were trying to, like, get on this thing and do the pace of the marathon. And they said they had to make it soft and springy because when they fell, I mean, it was violent. Like, these guys were hitting the ground. They were bouncing, like, six feet off this thing. I mean, it was hilarious. But their pace, I mean, they were just, you know, and then they start like doing the, the lean forward thing. And then you're like, oh, this guy's going down. And then you see him fall. And it was just, and they could not keep up. But like, that's how I feel. Sometimes I feel like this, there's a treadmill and we're running. And it's like, I just can't catch up to the pace of life. And we're not supposed to live like that. Now, that's why I wanted to go into this series, because we're not supposed to live at a pace of life that feels like we're exhausted. We are made to live at a pace of life that brings joy and goodness and trust and serenity and peace. This comes from an idea called the Sabbath. And so we began to look at this, and, and as we've done it, I, I, what I wanted to do in the first few weeks was I wanted to really create like a foundation, 
a theology for the Sabbath so that we have this idea of what is Sabbath. So whether you've been around church a long time or whether you're, you're new to faith, this, this concept of Sabbath, I wanted to talk about where does this come from? Where is the, the foundation of the theology? So we can build a house for it. So we can build a structure around it. Because I don't want to just practice the Sabbath without having some, some understandings of, of why do we practice this way? What, is it, what does it look like? And then along the way, as we create that foundation, we'll then answer some of the questions. Like, well, do we do it on a certain day? Are there certain things I should be doing? Uh, does that mean that I'm supposed to spend that day just doing church stuff? Is it okay to take a nap? Am I supposed to, can I watch the game? Can I go to the game? What, what are the kind of the, the, the things around the concept of Sabbath? And we'll get into that as we go. So the first place we started a couple of weeks ago was in the book of Genesis, and we discovered in the first of the two accounts of creation that there's this author that marvels at the reality of the world around them. And it's so cool. In this, in this passage, they paint a picture of what they see. And I love to imagine that, that this author is sort of looking around and poetically giving us these words of, look at this beauty of this creation. We discovered that this actually is a poem, which even makes it more beautiful. And so they begin to narrate joyfully, narrate this idea of creation. And they go through these six days. And so it's just, it's, it's so cool because there's just this rhythm to it of creation, of, of, of God saying, oh, this is good, of walking through morning through evening, the first day, the second day, the third day. And we talked about this rhythm, this pattern, almost like a song. And so on the seventh day, they come to this unexpected place. And I, I love how this goes into this. It says, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now this author's primary objective as they write this poem, as we talked about, was they're, they're, first of all, they're marveling at the sense of creation. And the second thing they're doing is they're telling us some theological understandings. And the theology that's so important for us to see here that they're trying to get us to understand is this idea of rest, this idea of God blessing it, of God making it holy. We discovered that the Hebrew, uh, the, the Hebrew word for rest that we find in this, word, or this verse is the word Shabbat. Shabbat found its way into Greek. It eventually found its way into English, and that's how we got Sabbath. So rather than just say rest or take a nap day, we call it Sabbath. And what we discovered is that in the first two weeks, this isn't just about like God taking a nap. This isn't this idea of rest like we're thinking about it. But this idea that God created and, and was creating here. And then these ancient scholars, these ancient rabbis and teachers say, and then on the seventh day, God, uh, rather than creating something more physical, God shifted and created something in time. God created rest. It's such a cool idea, such a cool idea that, that we think about this concept of God putting all of this together, all this beautiful creation, and then saying, and now I'll create rest, I'll create space. The author then suggests that God, in his blessing, by calling this day holy, created peace, serenity, tranquility, the kind of things that we all crave in our lives, Right? So then we continued our exploration of this theology, this practice of Sabbath, with that sort of as the, the first layer that we had. 
Then we moved on, we went to the book of Exodus. And the book of Exodus tells the story of God rescuing the Israelites from slavery in Egypt to a place that they called the Promised Land. We discovered then in the story that in the land between the Israelites found hunger and thirst that comes with wandering through a desert, right? And in this place of need, God miraculously provided for them food that they could eat. Then there came a command that went along with this miracle. It says in Exodus 16, six days you were to gather, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. So we saw this parallel that exists from Genesis, that seventh day of rest, and then through this story and through the practice of it, we see that the people were learning the rhythm of this theology. So it's so cool to think about. So there's this framework that goes with this Genesis poem where this person is marveling at things and saying, look at what God has created. Not just including the physical reality that God has created, but this reality of rest that we have before us. And then we see the people begin to then put in practice as God works through their experience and saying, okay, don't just think about it. Don't just just have a theology for it, but I want you to walk it out. I want you to create a practice for Sabbath. So in their time of need, he provides this bread. And he says, you can gather the first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day. On the sixth day, gather enough for the next day because there won't be any. Because on that day, I want you to rest. So we saw this idea that in that moment then, they came to a place where they learned this idea of trust. On this day, then, they could reflect on God's glory, provision, and goodness. And they realized that we don't have to do all the work. God will provide. So last week, I gave us some thoughts about that, some practice. That we should go through our week, and we should take some time to sit back and say, how has God provided this week? What what physical reality in my life? Or what friendships do I have? What, what other places has God provided goodness into my life? And so in that day of rest, we can reflect on and think about his provision for us. And then what I want us to see is this is where this begins to turn the corner. So we turn the corner from this idea of here's a theology of Sabbath. Here's uh, an Old Testament practice of Sabbath that begins to put this into place. And then we get into a place where we see, okay, and how does this then begin to develop into what we think of as a Sabbath day, a Sabbath time of worship? We find this as we move forward. Just another book. We go to the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 23, uh, verse 3 says this. There are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest a day of sacred assembly. You are not to do any work. Wherever you live, it is a Sabbath day to the Lord. Now, the book of Exodus is fascinating, or book of Leviticus is fascinating because it outlined how the people of the Exodus were supposed to live. And part of that rhythm that we see here is that they were supposed to gather together on the Sabbath. So I just, I love this. I love, I love as we read through this, as we see some of the, 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 the kind of the, the journey begin to take place from sort of this idea of, of theology, this conceptual idea of God resting or creating rest, to then some kind of 
practice here. And then we come to what really feels like a very strong command. You are to gather. You are to come together. You are to take the Sabbath. And I think what we're seeing is the tension that people have. It's easy to say, oh, I, I like this idea, that sounds like a good idea, but to actually do it sometimes is not the easiest thing to do. For a really simple example of this, we all go to the dentist, and the dentist is like, hey, how you been flossing? And we all lie, and we say all the time, and they're like, no, no, no. <laughs> the, the whatever is all over your little thing here that they put on, no, we can tell you do not floss, right? And then we all go home, we go, you know, I should really floss. When I was a little bit younger, I did, I really got into the habit you know what's amazing is when you really get into the habit of, of really taking care of yourself and flossing and doing it every day and you go to the dentist, that appointment goes really fast, doesn't it, right? It's easy. You, you know, just zoom right through it. But if you don't, if you decide to just say that flossing is a good idea, right? You open your drawer and you like look at it and you're like, well, I looked at the flossers. Something probably works here. And then you shut it, right? Or maybe you tuck it underneath your pillow. Maybe you just stick it there. And you hope that maybe throughout the night it'll just find its way in your mouth, right? But we don't. And then life gets really hard because it's easy for us to say things like, you know, that seems like a good idea, but it's hard to put it in practice. The same thing is true of so many other things. Oh, you know, I should probably save some money. It'd be a good idea to save for retirement, but it's really hard to do because you want to spend it on all this other stuff. And so having the habit, having the practice. And so that's what we're beginning to see here is they're saying it's easy to say to do this. So here's, some, here's, a, here's a command. Put it into practice. Now, Leviticus is hard. We've talked about this before. It's, it's a difficult book to, to talk through, and there are passages that we've talked about that are prescriptive and descriptive for that time that, again, we don't pull into our time. But as I've said before, while surrounded by many things that don't seem to apply in many ways, we find here what applies in every way, this idea that we should rest. Now, how do we know that we can take this one? How do, how do we know that this is one of those that we should connect to us today? Well, because Jesus quoted it. One of the commands that we see that Jesus talked about in Leviticus was to love our neighbor. We've talked about that. He quoted Leviticus. He pulled it out here. He said, you should love your neighbor. And that came directly from this book. We find another one here as it calls this um, call to sacred assembly. Because Jesus did this. So listen to this. In Luke 4, uh, 14 through 16, it says this. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues. And everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue. And listen to this. As was his custom. And he stood up to read. I, I just love this picture. That, that he went back home. He went back to the synagogue he grew up in. He had a custom of going to Sabbath. And he goes in, as was his custom, as was his habit. And he gets up and he reads. He participates in the service. Now we're going to come back to what Jesus read here in a couple of, of weeks, but I don't want us to miss what Jesus did. Custom, routine, habit 
to attend the synagogue on Sabbath. He made it a point, and, and, and let's, let's see what he did here. He made it a point to gather with the people, to read the words of Scripture, and to sing the songs of faith. And this is one that's easy for us to get. But Jesus, when he went to synagogue, and it says that he read, he was participating in a time of worship. And a huge part of that time of worship was the singing. And what did they sing? Well, here's what's really cool. We have the songbook. It's called the book of Psalms. It's found sort of in the middle of our Bibles. There's about 150 of these psalms. They were songs that were written and collected over a thousand years. So just think about that. These are the songs of faith of these people collected over a thousand years. I mean, I go to football games and they play like Metallica. And I'm like, yeah, I love it when they play the throwbacks. Man, I just, I love it when they play our retro tunes. I love it when they play the classics. You want to talk about the classics? Jesus is walking into the synagogue and they're like, all right, we're going to play this one. This one's from 900 years ago. And you're like, all right, this is, so there is some depth of faith here. There is, there is story in these that we find. It is just incredible. This collection is absolutely amazing. Now, there's one problem about it. We don't know the melodies. We don't really know too much about how they perform. We kind of get a sense of some of the instruments because they talk about it. Um, and, but we do know why they were sung. See, that's the most important part. We might not know how they sung them. We, we might not know the melodies of how they went into these songs, but we might know why they sang them. I want to come back to this at the end, but I want to hit this a little bit now. They sang them because music is powerful. They, they sang them because something happens with music that is more powerful than simply reading the words. That's why you don't typically grab a collection of somebody's poems. You grab their CD or you download their music. Because the poetry, the words are good. There's usually some really good stuff in there. But man, when it's connected to music, it just has an ability to go a whole nother direction. So Emily and I were driving uh, Friday night. We kind of had our own little time together. And we're driving up 465, and we get stuck in traffic. And I was like, Emily, connect your phone real quick. Let's listen to Taylor Swift's version of 1989 together. So she puts it on. She loves her Taylor Swift. And, and I, I was like, Emily, I, I got this album like when you were like four. And I was like, I dug this before. She's like, really? You like Swifty? Like, I was like, yes, I do. So we put it on, and we're kind of singing along. And, and I said, hey, you know, songs are just powerful, aren't they? And she's like, yeah, they really are. And I mean, she, she memorizes them. She knows, she knows every single word, right? And she's singing along. And I said, Emily, th this is why songs are so powerful. They just have a way of connecting with us. They have a way of memorizing things. I said, think about it when you're doing like a test or something. You're trying to remember something. Like she's studying the Revolutionary War. And I was like, you want to remember all these names? You remember all these people? Put it in a song. And she's like, I don't know if that's really going to work. And I'm like, A, B, C, D, E, F. And I was like, when somebody tells me to alphabetize something, what do I do in my head? I sing the alphabet. Now, nobody sings it out loud, or they'd be like, what is wrong with you? But you know when you're at your desk and you're trying to alphabet, you know that you're going A, B, C, D, E, right? Everybody does it because songs have a way of making that happen. It's why when a song comes on, when you were a teenager, you know the song. 
The other day, man, regulators came on. I was right up on in that. I was rapping right along with Nate Dogg. I was right in that thing. And now it's going to be in your head the rest of the day, right? Mount up, right? Like I was like right there. And Jill's like, how do you know this? I'm like, this is what happens when you put music and words together. Now, should I remember that song? That's a whole different sermon to debate about. I don't know. But songs have a way of connecting for us. It's why people keep writing songs. It's why they continue to create songs. And it's why the reflection of God's glory, why the reflection of God's goodness, why the reflection of God's provision was put into song and sung on the Sabbath. These people could have looked around and said, look at the beauty of all of God's creation." They could have remembered the story, the poem that told them that God rested and created rest for all of us. They, they could have just sat in the idea of, well, God created this day of rest, just take a good nap. But when they started to gather together, they didn't just gather together and remember this stuff. They began to sing together. It's so, so powerful. And a lot of the psalms, and this is what's really cool, a lot of the psalms are built around these themes. You, you, you find glory, you find provision, you find trust, you find all of this in the psalms. But there is one psalm in particular, and this is just so cool, that is tied to the Sabbath like no other psalm. So imagine this. All of these people would gather together. Jesus goes to the synagogue. He's taking a part of this worship service. They're singing along to these songs. They're singing all of these different psalms. But there is only one out of all 150 psalms that is particularly tied to the Sabbath. This psalm to this day continues to be the psalm that is read in Jewish synagogues all around our world. There are six psalms given to the other six days, but this psalm is specifically held special for the Sabbath. The psalm is Psalm 92. But before we get to the themes of the psalm, before we read through the psalm and some of what we learn here, all the psalms have headings. And I want you to see the heading for this one because this is really cool. These headings, we don't really know where they came from. We just know that they teach us uh, the context of the psalm. We know that they teach us some of the tradition of how people thought the psalm came about. The psalm, these headings sort of teach us maybe who the author of the psalm was. But this is cool. The heading that you'll find in the Bible is this one, a psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. And it is the only psalm out of 150 psalms that has the heading for the Sabbath day. So I'm looking at this realizing we need to, we need to talk about why do we sing? And why do the psalms matter? And why is this important? Why is worship such a huge part of the Sabbath, and here's why. This is what the psalm says. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night to the music of the ten-string lyre and the melody of the harp. Now, it starts out just kind of like a, a, a psalm would that you might read in other psalms. It is good to praise the Lord, to make music to your name, O Most High. Now, what's fascinating, though, is this psalm has perplexed scholars. 
It has perplexed rabbis. People try to figure out, but what is so special about this? This psalm sounds like any other psalm. Why is it given the designation for the Sabbath day? There are other psalms, and this is crazy. There are other psalms that seem to actually reference the Sabbath. This one doesn't at all. It's just found in the heading. So some commentators, ancient commentators, began to create theories of what, why did this become the Sabbath day psalm? Some taught, it's fascinating, some, some ancient commentators taught, well, this was the song that Adam composed on the very first Sabbath. On the very first day that he rested after being created, he reflected on God's glory, provision, and goodness and began to sing. It's sort of one of those things that it's a reminder of like Mary's song that we sing or that we see about Jesus. She just breaks out into song. And I, I love the idea that, that there's this concept, this theory that, that he couldn't do anything but sing on his first day of rest. And maybe there's more tradition there than actual history in that interpretation. But it does lead us to a helpful way of why we should look at this particular psalm and this designation. In its words, we see an invitation to worship. And then to move beyond the reflection of God's goodness and glory and provision and into this place of praise. It is good to praise the Lord, to make music to your name, O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning, your faithfulness tonight to the music of the ten-string lyre, the melody of the harp. Now, the word praise uh, is the root of the Hebrew for psalm. So it just, that, that, when you read the psalms, you're reading songs of praise. And the rest of the verses define what does this mean. To praise the Lord is to sing, to play an instrument. To put that together in a song about God's love and faithfulness. He says it is good to praise the Lord. And how do I praise the Lord? By proclaiming your love in the morning, your faithfulness at night. By putting it to music, by singing it along, by being joyful as we do it. Now we find this call to worship in all sorts of other psalms. Listen to this, Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Psalm 150, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and with dancing. Praise him with the strings and the pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Yes, now we're getting there. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Yes, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And then Psalm 33, sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting and upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music with him on the 10th Street Lear. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. And I love these psalms. It says we should sing with joy. We should sing with music and instruments. We should sing new songs because sometimes old songs just get old and you just need new songs. We should I love this. We should shout for joy. I love in this church when we cheer for a baptism or when we cheer for when somebody is a new volunteer. We do the big old Southeast cheer, right? Let's try it. Southeast cheer, yeah! Now we save that for that, but he says you should shout for joy. 
Now listen, some of that gratitude can be for the musicians playing skillfully, because it says it here, play skillfully. I love that. So next time you think, well, you know, and I'm talking to the band right now. I don't need to practice. This is more to myself. I'm supposed to be playing skillfully. Not unskillfully. Skillfully play to the Lord. But as people, we should then be singing for joy. We should be clapping and shouting. We should be excited about what's taking place. God has gifted people to play skillfully, to bring that place of worship. But that joy is really about who God is and what God has done. And this brings us back to the psalm. The psalm of the Sabbath. Remember, the Sabbath is a day to reflect on the goodness and the provision of God. And how can we reflect on that provision and goodness and not turn it into a song of praise? How could we not? God is good. So this is what we find in Psalm 92. Listen again. It is good to praise the Lord, to make music to your name, almost high, proclaiming your love in the morning, your faithfulness at night, to the music of the ten-string lyre, the melody of the harp, for you make me glad by your deeds, Lord. I sing for joy at what your hands have done. So he says, we look and we see what God has done. We reflect on God's goodness and faithfulness. Our worship then is in response to God's provision for our lives. And in that worship, we continue to learn to trust in him. So that's why I said our practice should be to sit down and to write down what God has done. But I don't just want us to write down and sit there and go, okay, cool, God provided for me this week, and just turn it and close it and go to bed. I want us to be waking people up in the house, man. I want to be sitting down. I want to write down and go, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. What would it look like if you were driving your car and you began to, hey, Siri, make a note. No, oh, no, she's going to make a note. Well, that's fine. If I say, make a note, and she's like, what do you want to make a note about? And be like, this week, I felt like God did this. And then you say, yeah. You're driving down the interstate, and somebody looks over, and you're going, Yes. Like, what are you doing? I'm worshiping. Because God is good. And that's what this person is talking about. But we also know there's a tension. Let's be honest. Things aren't always good. Sometimes you're going to sit down to write what God has provided. And it's going to be hard. Because life is hard. And this is where this gets really fascinating. Because the person who wrote this, they address this. And what we find in then that is that part of our worship is recognition that we need God, not just for his provision, not just for his goodness, but for the hope of his love, his righteousness, and his justice. Listen to how it goes on. How great are your works, Lord. How profound your thoughts. Senseless people do not know... Fools do not understand that though the wicked spring up like grass and all evildoers flourish, they will be destroyed forever. Now, this seems weird to us at first. It is, we are probably not going to sing a worship song that says something like, Oh, Lord, thank you for your goodness that you will destroy all the wicked in this world. That would be weird. That would seem kind of strange, right? We don't usually talk like that. We don't really sing about that all that much. But what the psalmist is saying here is so cool. He recognizes that the world is a mess. He doesn't have to look that far to see injustice or pain or the people that cause it. And the author then calls all these people. He says they're all fools. They're all senseless. They don't know it, but this is all temporary. 
the God of eternity is working to set things right. So the psalm goes on. But you, Lord, everything else, they'll be destroyed. But you, Lord, you're forever exalted. And if we had any doubts if God's justice would be forever, the author is clear that his goodness knows no end. But that the fate of the enemies of God, those who create injustice, isn't very pleasant. He goes on, he says, For surely your enemies, Lord, surely your enemies will perish. All evildoers will be scattered. And then the author closes with this incredible imagery that tells all those who serve God will flourish. He goes on, he says, You have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. Fine oils have been poured on me. My eyes have seen the defeat of my adversaries. My ears have heard the rout of my wicked foes. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar in, of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. It's just, this is kind of a weird song to be a, a Sabbath psalm, but listen to this. The flourishing that he's talking about here has a purpose. And this brings us back to this idea that seems so strange when he talks about injustice, evildoers, enemies of God. But it makes sense when we remember the context. And this is where all of this is going to connect. Remember, this is a song that was supposed to be sung on the Sabbath. Remembering what God has done and continues to do. And on the Sabbath, what did God create? Peace, he created serenity, he created tranquility. And what the psalmist is saying, you don't just reflect on the goodness of God and what he's doing. Now this is an invitation through worship to participate in it. We're invited to not just sit back, but to be a part of bringing his peace, his serenity, and his tranquility into the world. And the author describes that in the next two verses, and then we'll close. He says, they will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. I don't know about you, but the older I get, I want to bear fruit in the old age. I want to stay fresh and green. That sounds great. <laughs> Proclaiming, the Lord is upright. He is my rock. And there is no wickedness in him. So do you see what the Sabbath becomes? This is, guys, this is really cool. This is huge. The Sabbath is a reminder to us. The world's a mess. The, the world is full of injustice. The world is full of pain. The, the world is full of hurt. But death and sin, and brokenness, they don't get the last word. And that's what this psalmist is pointing to. Because your God is a God of hope. And we know where that story goes. We know that death and sin don't get the final word. He says, but the eternal God of goodness and love invites us into a story of hope that is being told and retold of a world being restored and renewed and saved. It's, it's just incredible. So what we do is on Sabbath, we sit in peace and rest and tranquility. 
And we recognize in the tension that the rest of the world doesn't look like this because the Sabbath is how God wants things to be. But it's not how the world is. So we are invited to pull this hope into this world. And we can look at all of the injustice of this world and say, no, you don't get the final word. But my God of love and justice and grace and mercy... He does, because he is forever. See, we need this gathering. We need this time, this reminder to praise God, to reflect on his goodness, to be reminded of the family of God who shares our hope. Guys, I, I, I keep thinking about all these people, speaking of Taylor Swift, and then I'll close up. People, people are, are going out, and they're standing out in parking lots, outside stadiums that they couldn't get into so that they could sing along with the songs. Like, what are we doing? Like, that's awesome. I think that's great. Her songs are great. And she puts on a great show and people should go to those shows. But why in church do we come in and then we're just like, okay, cool, that's awesome. Or, you know, I got better things to do this week. I'm not gonna worry about it. Like, we have an opportunity to sit together as the family of God, to come together, to look at each other, and be like, we are people who believe in a hope for this entire universe. Why would I not want to sing that like crazy? Kurt, why don't you come up? Kurt's going to, we're going to practice this morning. Because that's actually what worship is. Worship is our practice of the Sabbath. Because I don't know if you know this, but in eternity, our worship never ends. So an opportunity that we have each week is to come together to learn how to skillfully worship and praise God. So this morning, I get it. Maybe you're like, I don't, I don't sing really well. I don't want anybody to hear me. You sing in your car. I know you do. Sing out. Ain't nobody in this place going to judge you until we get to the potluck. And then they'll look at you and be like, wow, you really can't sing. But you go on and you make a joyful noise to the Lord. Because you were created to do that. So stand with me, guys. I know we're running late, but let's worship and praise and be reminded that our God, our God is a God of hope, of eternal Sabbath rest, who brings tranquility and peace into a world that is an absolute mess. Why would I not praise him when I know that he can bring that into this world? I want to praise that God. So let's sing. All my words fall short. I've got nothing new. How could I express all my gratitude? I could sing these songs as I often do. Every song must end. You never do. So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again. And I know it's not 
But I'm nothing else fit for a king Except for a heart full of hallelujah Hallelujah I've got one Just one move with my arms stretched wide. I will worship you. So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again.
so here's a really cool thing. Some of you may know this. I've taught on this before. The word hallelujah has this uh, connection that we talk about when we talk about Hosanna, this idea of saving us. There's this, this just expressive idea that we are just calling out to God through this. And so as we think about that, like I want to recognize that, 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 that worship is not just something that we just do. It's not a warm-up to kids' ministry or a sermon. It is because how could we not? Like when we reflect on God's goodness and his grace, we reflect on the family of God coming together. How could I not bust out into song? So I had a friend challenge me this week, like, why do we worship? And I was like, the answer is because how could we not? Like that's how I want you to think about this. Like as we create a theology of worship, as we create a theology of Sabbath, like God has given us the Sabbath because we're not meant to ride on this roller coaster of life that never stops. We are made to rest. And we're made to worship because how could we not? Imagine a life without music. It'd be awful, wouldn't it? And imagine church without music then. We are made to worship. So let's continue to do that. Let's be that place where people come in and they're like, man, these people are jacked up about something. Yeah. We serve a God of hope and love and grace and mercy who looks at injustice and brokenness and says, uh-uh, no more. Today we get to celebrate, continue our celebration by sitting around at tables together and worshiping together, feasting on our Sabbath day. What an awesome opportunity to be like, this is what the world should look like. People who sit across from tables from each other, who, who don't, e don't all know each other and have come from different walks of life, but come together because they share their faith in a heavenly Father who brings hope to this world. Let's pray. God, we are just so grateful and thankful for who you are, for giving us the incredible gift of the Sabbath to rest, to trust, to worship. And today, God, we add to that this Sabbath time of fellowship, of feasting together. God, be with us as we uh, go into the next room to eat together, to talk. Uh, may this just be a time that we uh, create new friendships as we gather together. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. A couple things. Make sure that you check out the weekly for things that are coming up this week. Um, help tear down if you, if you would so we can get all this sort of uh, done as best we can. And then we'll meet up here or back here for the potluck. Uh, please stick around if you can, at least for a little bit. At least enjoy some of Tim's cheesy potatoes because I know those are back there. So don't, I'm getting first in line for those things. So make sure you get back there, enjoy the potluck, and we'll worship next week. <laughs>